thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. We're in Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, and we're going to read that as we get ready to look at the armor of God today. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after having done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And Tim's going to unpack what the the breastplate of righteousness is. But if you read that passage, it should bring something up in your mind. When we talk about a breastplate, you you might be like me and think of Russell Crowe and Gladiator and his crazy armor and how cool it was, and, or you might think of back to middle school when you saw uh, the armor with the abs and the chest, and you're like, man, I wish I could look like that. And that was the point, because armor actually looked like that. If you, do we have the Russell Crowe image? So this is, this is Russell Crowe when he's looking down and out. He still has a, a, a breastplate that comes over. It's just leather. And then he's got this buckles, and they're like six buckles, and it's, it's meant to give him the perfect shape. It's meant to represent that he uh, was in perfect form. And in the same way that no matter who put on this armor, it didn't matter whether or not you had worked out the day before, whether or not you actually had a six-pack or not, the image was going to be that your body was perfect perfectly formed. And so that was the idea behind this armor. And Paul picks up on it because he's standing next to guys who would have had the best armor. He's chained next to Praetorian guards and they would have had the armor that would have looked like a chiseled Greek god, right? Like it would have been the abs and the six pack and the the perfect chest. And it was meant to give this impression that they had the perfect form And so as Paul's looking at it, he's saying he gives us righteousness and then he gives us the breastplate. And he's saying, you don't have to be perfect in your righteousness. That's what we're striving for. We want to be perfect. We're called to work for it. But here's the good news. Christ has already given us his righteousness. He takes his righteousness off and puts it on to us. And so we are equipped with righteousness that is perfect at all times. And if there's one thing we can do, we could be reminded of it because of 1 Corinthians, the same verse I read earlier. And because of him, we who are in Christ Jesus, Christ became wisdom 
He became our righteousness. He became our sanctification, our redemption. And so it is with that that we boast. We boast in the Lord for his righteousness is perfect, and he's taken it off, and he's given it to us freely. So let us boast in him today. We stand before you with our arms lifted high, our hearts abandoned, that you are our Lord and our God. We are so thankful that you chose to call each of us into your presence. You chose that we would be called your sons and daughters. You chose to give us your righteousness. So, Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness, your love, your mercy. It's in your son's precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please have a seat. Please have a seat. Malachi, thanks. Hey, man, you have a, is, is your mom and dad here or something like that? Yeah, where? Family's here. Where? Right there. Here. Hey, raise your hand. Oh, yeah. Mom and dad, stand up. Stand up. Where you at, mom and dad? Stand up. Oh, hey. Thank you. Hey, we pray blessings for you and your ministry, and uh, so glad you're with us today, and uh, thanks for this guy. You did a good job. did a good job. Thanks, Malachi. Ed, come on up. Hey, I want to also introduce you to Ed. And uh, many of you know him, some know, know him. Uh, some of you don't, but this is Ed Nall, and uh, we talked to you a few weeks ago about, about Malachi, and he came on as our, uh, our um, uh, associate uh, tech and worship director, and uh, we also have Ed starting uh, this week, and you're joining us for, uh, not the first Sunday, you've been coming here for a little bit, yeah. but um, uh, Ed is coming on as our uh, interim executive and worship pastor, and he's in a... Uh, just a kind of a little different season of life, and he walked along, came and met me, and he said, hey, I want to help you, because you need some help. <laughs> Praise Jesus, I do. There's no doubt about it. Love when the Lord takes care of things. So, um, Ed, uh, you were uh, at Reston for a little, Reston Bible for a little bit. Tell us yeah. what you did, and a little bit about yourself. I was at RBC for 12 years. Uh, the first two years, I was their worship pastor, and then I uh, transitioned to still doing some worship. Uh, the work of an executive pastor is to do everything that the senior pastor doesn't want to do. That's my, that's my job. Right? Isn't that the best definition ever? <laughs> like, I didn't even come up with that. He did. I just, I love it. Love it. No, but seriously, uh, I have said it before I even uh, came here. Administration is not my top gift or my top thing that I'm great at. And so um, the, as a body of Christ, we have come together and we've done a lot of administrative things since I've been here, and um, it is awesome to see how the body works like that, and for you to be able to join us and give us some time and effort and wisdom and all that, we're just really grateful. Uh, in a minute, we're going to pray for you, but I'd also like to call your attention to a couple of things we're going to pray for this morning, and, um, and the first one is this. Uh, Pastor Suarez has been faithful over the last few months to really ask us to pray for Venezuela, and uh, Pastor Suarez is from Venezuela, and his family, mo- much of his family is still there. We support a church that's there. And, um, and what has been going on there has obviously been difficult. It's become even more prevalent in the news in the last few days. And um, we don't make any political statements around here, but we do want to pray for justice and mercy. We want to pray for protection. We want to pray that, uh, and Pastor Suarez has just heard some, you know, right from the feet of people that are on the ground, some just really crazy facts that are going on there. Um, literally little children dying every day from starvation and, lack of medicine and different things like that. And we just need to pray to the God 
that we serve, that we love, that he will step in and intervene in a really powerful way. And, uh, and so we're going to be faithful to that. And uh, there's lots of things going on in the world, a lot of things we can pray for each Sunday. We could probably spend most of our time praying for those things, and maybe we should, but for certain when it affects somebody in our family, we're going we're gonna to pray for those things. And so pray for that. And here's the other thing, too. You are so faithful to fill out those Connect cards, and you put your prayer requests in there. And I just want to say thank you. What a blessing and a privilege it is for us to be able to pray for the different things going on in your life, uh, uh, the, the praise reports, the, hey, this is so cool, thank the Lord for us, and, and then for, hey, this is really painful, this is difficult, uh, we have this going on or that going on, and we get to be a part of all that, and so thank you. But here's what's become obvious in the last two or three months, and uh, just from the different prayer requests and things that come in, most of them are confidential, we don't even know what names are attached to them. But here's what's become evident, and uh, in our second and fourth prayer gatherings of the week, of the month, second Wednesday and the fourth Wednesday when we gather for prayer, we've just been making this an intense part of our prayer time. We make lots of things part of it, but the last couple months we've been praying for our marriages. And, and the reality is, is based upon what we're getting from you guys and the prayer requests and conversations, different things like that, we know that our marriages are struggling. Has that been the case all along in our church? I have no idea. But all I know is there's something different about the last two or three months. And, um, and so we're going to pray. The greatest weapon that we have, the greatest hope we have in our marriages is exactly that, to pray. And so of all the things we could do, counseling, which is good and is needed, and all the different things we can do and offer, the greatest thing we're going to do is we're going to pray. And so what we want to do is we want to invite you this Wednesday. We're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to ask our pastors and our overseers and, and, and those that Scripture calls to rise up and pray for the body of Christ. We're going to ask them, they're all going to be there this, uh, on, on this Wednesday. And we're going to ask you to show up with your marriage. We're going to ask you, maybe you show up as an individual to pray for your marriage. Maybe you're able to show up as a couple. But we're going to ask you to show up. And we're going to do exactly what Scripture says. We're going to lay hands on you and we're going to pray for your marriage. We're going to pray God's strength, His protection. We're going to pray His righteousness over your marriage. And you said, hey, there's nothing wrong with my marriage. Then, Dang it, get there. That's a great time to be there. Let's continue to pray for your marriage. Let's uphold your marriage. Let's gird your marriage in prayer by the truth of Scripture. And so um, that's what we're going to do. We're going to ask you to be there. And you also have been turning in prayer requests for hurting and, and healing. And the church is supposed to pray for that too. And so we're going to spend our Wednesday from 6.30 to 7.30 to do that. And you're like, man, I don't know. I've never done that. It's a great time to start. Great time to start. So I hope you join us. So, Ed, I'm going to pray for you. Will you pray for Venezuela, and then I'll pray for our marriages. Church, will you join me? Father, we thank you so much for Ed, his life, his family. We thank you for Heidi and the boys and all that has led him to this point. And, Father, for your calling him to, uh, to press into our church, to say, hey, you have a need, and I'd like to step in there. The Lord has called me to that, and I just praise you for his obedience. I thank you that you heard that call, and I thank you that he's with us. For however long you would allow him to be with us, for whatever that journey looks like, we thank you, Father. We thank you that this season in his life, you have brought him and his family right here. And Lord, we look forward to all that you'll do. We look forward to how you'll change and transform our lives through his obedience. We look forward to the different decisions and choices that we're going to make as you bring a new voice into our church. You bring new leadership into our church. And Father, we thank you for that. Give him wisdom that he's going to need. Give him endurance that he's going to need. Patience, especially dealing with me, that he's going to need. And, uh, and Lord, would you bless him and his family's life in such an incredible way. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing me here to this place. We want to lift up the country of Venezuela and the leadership of that country. Would you do 
provisions that are there, the rioting, the streets, the lack of food, medicines, those kinds of things. And Lord, we particularly want to bring to your attention something that you're fully aware of, the children of this country, some of whom are dying because they're not getting the food and the medicine that they need because countries and leaders cannot come to your kingdom. Lord, you tell us in the scripture that you are sovereign over these things, that even the king's heart is like a stream of water in your hands and directed where you will. Would you work and that the leaders around the world who are trying to impact this situation and the leaders in that country who disagree, would you work in their hearts so that they could come to agreement and the people could get the things that they need just for life, just to live. And Lord, we pray most of all for the salvation of all of those people who are struggling now. Would the believers rise up during yes, this time yes. and declare the gospel of the goodness of mm. God even in their midst? So thank you. Father, we lift our marriages up to you. We lift each and every one of them that's in this body right now. We lift them up to you. Father, we lift them up that all the marriages that are attached to you and that are, are by you and by your, by your grace and by your mercy across the world, Lord, but you have given us one another. You've given us this body to be a part of. And so, Lord, we lift up these marriages. We ask for you to step in and protect them, to heal them, to cause them to, Lord, to love one another with your great love. To leave the hurt and the pain at your feet, Father. And to begin to live righteously with one another, pursuing your great righteousness. Father, that you would lead them and guide them, each of us in our marriages. You would lead us and guide us in how to best love our spouses. And how to love them with the sacrificial love that you have loved us with. How to give ourselves away, to make ourselves second in hope that our spouse can have the most amazing relationship with you. Father, that you would give us wisdom and discernment, the next right choices to make in our marriages and our relationship. Father, those that are are just in a great place, a great season of health, that you would help them to, to rise up and to look around them, to have eyes that can see that which only you can see, and they would press into other marriages and other people, seemingly not even knowing why, but they would and begin to care for one another in such a powerful way. They begin to, to share time with one another, sharing the challenges of our, of our marriages and our lives and, and helping each other. The Father, that our marriages would be that place of, of refuge and security that come from two people that walk close with you, Father. Lord, do a great work in this place. We ask you for your healing, for your protection, for your mercies, and for your guidance. For we're going to need it, Lord. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And again, hopefully we'll see you on Wednesday, and, and let's pray. Let's pray together. Okay, so, uh, hey, we, uh, we got to get moving. So I uh, always want to take time to pray. I always want to take time to do what God wants us to do and as different things come up. But here's what it means. I got to drop my opening illustration, so I'm going right to it. You ready? We're sinful, dirty, rotten, terrible people. I just had to get to it. I just couldn't lead my way into it. We don't have time. Here's what it means. Mark 7, 21 through 23, from within, out of the heart of man, proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murderers, thefts, thieves, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things 
come from within and defile a man. The place of righteousness is our heart. The place of unrighteousness is our heart. Where evil comes from, whether it's done with our hands, our mouth, our minds, is stirred up from the heart and our desires. And there's, there's nothing good that dwells within us. And we want to we rear our heads against that and go, come on. No, really. Listen to what Paul said in Romans. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And if, if, I, if, I, if, I, if I could grab us all and just help us to understand Greek and get into the nutty, nuts and bolts of it all, guess what it would say? No one. No one. No one. It's, it, there's not special words. There's not special understandings. There's not special uh, definitions. No one. That before God, we're all unrighteous. Now, I got it. We don't live that way, do we? We typically just compare ourselves to one another. I'm better than that guy. Oh, yeah, I'm a whole lot better than her, trust me. Yeah, well, the Lord doesn't do that. He says, I stand here as the holy, righteous God. And compared to me, your best day and moment is as filthy rags. Glad you came to church today, aren't you? That's good news. Let's all go home. It's terrible news. It's terrible news. Because it means that we can't be made right with God. It means that we're, we're distant from God. It means we're enemies with God. It means we are on the side of unrighteousness while he is on the side of righteousness. And there is this vast separation. And no matter how we will try, no matter how much we will put effort into it, we cannot make ourselves good enough. We can't. Oh, but here's the good news. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says this. When you were dead in your sins and in uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them on the cross. Remember what we said is that we overcome because Christ has victory. We live in the victory of Christ. We don't live hoping for the victory of Christ. <clears throat> we don't live just because of the victory of Christ. We live in the victory of Christ. And what is his victory? His victory is over sin and shame and the evilness of our heart. His victory is over the penalty that rested against us. Uh, literally our legal, it's a legal term that we were indebted. We had a legal penalty against us, a sentence against us of death. Separation from him and a literal physical death and then an eternal death. Those were our penalties of our sin, of saying to God, hey, I know you made me. I know that you're the God of the universe. I know you know what's right, but really, I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to pursue the desires of my heart before I pursue the desires of your heart. And our penalty was death. And what Christ did is while in the evil realm and the, in the spiritual realm and the principalities, they are all cheering, yeah, got them all, man, they're all evil. They got no way to make this thing right. Christ made a public spectacle of their celebration. 
He made a public spectacle of their efforts. He made a public spectacle of their hopes. And he crucified himself, paid the price on our behalf, and made us righteous. This is an incredible thing that we have to understand. And you're like, yeah, I've been coming to church for a long time. I've heard this. Gave my life to Christ. We have to understand. We can't go further with the breastplate of righteousness. We can't go further with what righteousness is and how we live it out without absolutely positively understanding this. We are not righteous because we believed in Christ. We are not righteous because we put our faith in Christ. We are not righteous because we prayed a prayer. We are not righteous for any of those reasons. We are righteous because of what Christ did on the cross. We are righteous because he took his righteousness and imputed that righteousness into us. Didn't just share it. Didn't just impart some of it to us. He imputed it. That word is critical for us because it is literally the exchange of an account. The account that was against us was the death that was due. And nothing we could do to get rid of that account. But the righteousness of Christ was exchanged and paid our account. And now his righteousness sits in our account, never to be taken away, never to be diminished, never to become less, never to become more. It is sufficient in what it is. His righteousness covers us. So when the Father, when God himself looks at our lives, he doesn't see the sinful actions. He doesn't see the unrighteousness. He doesn't see all the evil that we've portrayed in our lifetime. He sees the righteousness of Christ. Does that make sense? And why is that important? Because Satan is going to attack that righteousness all the time. Every chance he gets. Because it is the Father in heaven who is righteous, and he is unrighteous. The only work he does is unrighteous work. The only work our Father does is righteous work. We are now on the side of righteousness, and his attacks will come at us in the forms of unrighteousness, stirring us up, having us seek a life of unrighteousness instead of a life of righteousness because of this. While we are made righteous before, an imputed righteousness before God and his throne under judgment, we have to live in the power of Christ and choose to live out that righteousness in our everyday lives. That part's not just given to us in whole. We still have the opportunity to be unrighteous here. We still have the opportunity to make unrighteous decisions. We still have the opportunity to pursue evil instead of righteousness. He has imparted his power to us to live righteously. He has imparted the Holy Spirit to our lives to live righteously. He has imparted knowledge of the Word of God. Remember we talked about last week, the truth of Scripture, so that we know what is right and wrong, good and best. And He has imparted the power that we can live righteously. We only know righteousness because of what Christ did and because He gave His righteousness for us. Now we know what righteousness is. We can only live in that righteousness as we access and use the power that has been given to us. Does all that make sense? Yeah? 
Sort of? Okay. Because the enemy's out to get us. It's not, we're not going, hey, he's behind me. He's going to attack us. He's unrighteous, attacking that which is righteous. He's going to stir us up first and foremost by digging into that sinful nature that's still inside of us, that still rears its head all the time, that sinful nature that's selfish, that sinful nature that wants its fleshly desires, that sinful nature that wants to get even, that sinful nature that uses that sinful word. It's not fair. It's not really a sinful word. It just should be. We have all these things in us that stir us up so that we would live unrighteously and never experiencing the life that Christ intended us to experience. One of joy, one of hope, one of great peace, even in the midst of crazy, evil circumstances of our lives. Yeah, even in the midst of that. There's hope to be had in this life, not just the life to come. And there's a righteous way that we can live that brings hope and peace into other people's lives as well. And if Satan can get us looking, if the desires in us can rear us, rear their heads up and get us to look away from that righteousness, death and destruction are on their way. Now be sure of this. As we continue to talk, the reason why I need you to know this, no matter what happens in your life, no matter how many times you turn to evil, that imputed righteousness is secure. It is securing your relationship with God. It's just that every time we look away from that righteousness, we're missing out on the life that we were intended to have. We're missing the joy, the hope, and the peace we were intended to have. We were made righteous to live righteous. We were made righteous to live righteous. Listen to Ephesians 4, 20 to 23. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in your attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self created like God in true righteousness and holiness. Right? Because we took on Christ's righteousness, we are now created anew, to live in the true righteousness of Christ. The thing is, will we? Will we? Psalms, in the 23rd Psalms, it says this. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We literally glorify God when we live righteously as opposed to unrighteously. We will never be perfectly righteous this side of eternity. But every day with our Jesus pursuing righteousness, we will become more like him. The evil one who seeks to attack and destroy, John described as the one who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He will attack God's standards of righteousness, your desire for righteousness, and your actions for righteousness. He'll attack them. In describing the devil, the unrighteous one, the evil one, Peter said this, he prowls and stalks like a lion does with its prey. And for what end? To have us act, think and to be unrighteous, to pull our attention, our thoughts away from the Holy One. That's who he is. 
So what kind of power do we have against this predator? What kind of power do we have against our own sinful nature? What, what is there? Well, we've been talking about it. We've been talking about the truth that we have, that we get to live in, that defines that which is right and wrong, that we can cling to, that we can measure and weigh all of life by. And then Paul goes on to say after that when he says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place. If our heart is the home of unrighteousness and righteousness, if out of the heart comes all that we do, he's saying, cover it. Cover it with the righteousness of Christ. Cover it with the truth of Scripture. Cover it. Don't let the enemy pierce it. Don't let your heart be focused on that which is evil. Let your heart be focused on that which is holy and godly and righteous. It is by seizing the righteousness of Jesus Christ, choosing through the power of Christ to live righteously, that we overcome the evil that is within us and that is around us. So how is it we overcome this? How is it the breastplate, if you will? How is it that righteousness overcomes evil? First, we're to hate evil and pursue righteousness. Romans 12, 9 through 10 says this. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. And this is not your typical reactive life. That's what we typically do, right? We just react. We react. You did that, I'm doing this. You said that, I'm saying this. What? Oh my goodness. I better do this, this, and that. We react all the time. We react with our thoughts. We react with our emotions. We are a reactive people. This is talking about something different. This is talking about being proactive. This passage right here, if we are going to choose to hate evil and to cling to what is good, that is going to be a proactive stance against life, against my desires, against the attacks of the enemy. I am going to hate that which is evil and cling to that which is good. John Maxwell said one time at a conference I was at, he said this. He looked at all of us. It was a bunch of, uh, it was a, what was it? It was a long time ago. It was a promise keeper's thing. And he's talking about sin in our life. And he's talking about how it, how it ruins our relationships and how it damages our marriages. And it sets a, a terrible precedence for even our, our families. And he said, listen, here it is. You've already been given the tools you need to steer clear of sin. You've been given the power you need to live righteously. But here's our problem. He said, until you hate sin, you'll keep doing it. Until you hate the sin, you'll keep doing it. It'll stay a fixture in your life. It'll keep having a hold of your life. It's not that, it's not that God's not strong enough to break it. He already broke it. We live in victory. It's that I like it too much. I like it so much that I'm not willing to hate it and hate what it does in my life. Look, it's no joke if you look at me every Sunday that I like to eat. Right? It's not news. It's not a news flash. I spent my life eating just like you have. I just eat a little bit more than you do. And I love to eat. And uh, I should hate it a little bit more. But I don't. And what I really love to eat is anything that has the word carb in it. I don't care how you spell it. I spell it carb. 
right? You might spell it bread. You might spell it rice. You might spell it vegetables. I don't spell anything with vegetables. I just don't do it. I love to eat. I really do. I love to eat. And I used to love to work out too, but now I just love to eat. Look, I was an athlete for a long time. I know exactly what it'll take to get my body into shape. I know exactly what it'll take to eat healthy. I know exactly what it'll take to master my body. <laughs> I just love eating. And until I get past that, until I get past the euphoric feeling when I take in those carbs, I'm going to be bound to the results of what I eat. Until we hate sin, we're going to stay there. Until we pursue righteousness, again, hating sin would be one thing, but now we're to pursue, that's a proactive life where I go and I say, what is righteous? What is righteous? This is righteous. This action is righteous. This characteristic is righteous. This is righteous. And how do I know that? Based upon truth. I can't go through all of scripture this morning and go, okay, here's your list of righteous deeds and acts. Read scripture. It's your list of righteous deeds and acts. And so we'll study and we'll be proactive and we'll be thinking about it and we'll be contemplating righteousness instead of contemplating evil and unrighteousness. That which we contemplate, that which we yearn for is that which we're going to do. So instead, we're going to go on this other and we're, we're going on this other mission and we're going to pursue righteousness and we're going to contemplate, meditate and desire righteousness. That means instead of having all these evil and crazy thoughts about the people in my life, I'm going to have righteous thoughts about them. And every time one of them rears their head, man, I hate that guy. Righteousness says that I love that guy. I don't really know how to. I don't really want to. But righteousness says I'm going to love that guy. Okay. So I'm going to stop slamming him every time I get a chance to talk to him. I'm going to stop my passive aggressiveness. Okay, I can do this. And I start to contemplate, what does it mean to love this person? I start to contemplate, what does it mean to, to pour truth into this person? I start to contemplate, what does it mean to lift this person up? I start to contemplate, how would my Jesus treat this person? And now suddenly, I'm focused. I'm proactive about righteousness instead of evil. And when I realize evil is rearing its head in my own life, I hate it, and I want to get rid of it as fast as possible. What happens if we don't? What happens if we take our eyes off the Lord? One of the hardest and most gut-wrenching stories in Scripture is the story of David, David and Bathsheba. While all the kings were at war, David didn't go. We think it was a picture of, of David being in depression. And he stayed and he was going through whatever it was he going through. But what we know for sure is he took his eyes off the Lord. As he took his eyes off the Lord and that which is righteous, pursuing righteousness, he set his eyes outside of his window. And even though he had not just one wife, he had wives. Even though he had a kingdom, even though he was the king, man, he saw Bathsheba and he goes, I want her. And his desires reared up. And instead of hating those desires and loving righteousness, he said, go get me her. And he brings her in and he, and he sleeps with her and she winds up getting pregnant. And now this whole thing spinning out of control. At any moment, he could have looked back to the righteousness of Christ. At any moment, he could have fixed his eyes on that which is righteous and good and pure. But he kept diving in to this selfish pursuit, this sin pursuit of unrighteousness. And he calls in Uriah from the battlefield and he says, hey, you know, you should go be with your wife and he won't do it. And he's a righteous man. He's an upstanding man. And, and, and all these things pursue. I hope you go read the passage. It's in, uh, it's in second, uh, second, second Samuel. I hope you go read the passage. Man, 
And so he does this. He writes a letter, and he goes, hey, take this to, take this to the general. He takes the letter. He opens up the letter. He says, all right, Uriah, you're leading us to battle. Uriah's like, you're right, I'll lead you to battle. And the letter said, make sure he's the first one that will get hit by the arrows and the swords. Make sure he gets killed. And David kills this guy because of God and his righteousness. David was able to turn back, confess those sins, set his eyes on righteousness. Was the damage done? Yeah. Was there pain? Great pain. Was his family in shambles? You bet. He was able to turn back. Listen to Psalm 51. It says this, Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. Are we missing our joy? Has Satan attacked us? Has our old nature caused us to look away from that which is righteous and good? Look back. Look back to righteousness. Seek it over that which is unrighteous and evil, for goodness will overcome evil. The next one, do not take revenge. Romans 12, 17 through 19 says this. Do not pay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You know, we don't have to be God. Can I just say that clearly? We don't have to be God. It's not up to us to bring retribution to every person that ever hurt us. It's not up to us to make every person pay. It's not up to us to make sure every person knows the pain and agony that they brought into our lives. That's the Lord's job. That's his job. Our job is to love people. Our job is to care for people. Our job is to entrust our lives to him and to trust the result of our lives to him. And trust that he can use all things in our lives for the good of others. Even the things that we were hurt by. That he can use them. So when we set our sights on pursuing righteousness. That goodness would overcome evil. We do away with revenge. That means every time the thought of revenge. You're like, well I don't really think about killing them. You don't have to. It just comes to that stage. Maybe you'll kill them with your words. Facebook, Instagram, this comment, that comment. Maybe you'll kill them with your looks. Maybe you'll kill them with how they're talked about amongst other people. Or maybe you will get to a place where you will literally kill them. By get, all we can say is that by God's grace, we don't pursue things that far. But we are capable. Every person is capable of every evil under the sun. Don't give the devil a foothold. Don't give your sinful nature ammunition. Don't allow yourself to go there. Revenge is the Lord. Allow him to take care of it. Our school shootings, our work shootings, our stabbings, our murders, our gang violence. Do we have to talk about revenge as if it doesn't really happen and it never moves to an actual physical state? It absolutely does. Broken marriages, all sorts of things are on the heels and the back of revenge. Let the Lord take it. Christ, who could have took revenge at any moment, allowed himself to be beaten to the point that he wasn't recognized. And Scripture tells us that at any moment, he could have called down the legions of angels from heaven. And yet he didn't. Because he knew there was something greater that the Lord, that his Father was doing. 
there's something greater that would benefit each of us. What is the Lord doing in your life with your pain that will benefit somebody else around you? What's he doing? His name was Chris Carrier, and when he was 10 years old, a stranger approached him, professing to be the friend of the boy's father. He said, I, I need your help, Chris, in picking out a Christmas present for your dad. So Chris climbed into the man's motorhome. Short time later, the man pulled the vehicle into a field and stabbed Chris in the back of the neck. He then drove the vehicle with the wounded boy inside down a dirt road, shot the boy in the left temple and dumped him on the side of the road in the infested Florida Everglades. Get alligator infested Florida Everglades. For six days, Chris lay there in and out of consciousness, mostly out of consciousness, until he was found by a passing motorist. Miraculously, he survived his injuries, but lost the ability to see in his left eye. The police were never able to identify his attacker. Chris lived in fear for the next three years until at a church event, he heard the gospel and gave his life to Christ. He grew in his faith and decided to go into full-time ministry and to help others find peace and healing that he had found in Jesus. Many years later, Chris was now married and with a family, and a detective contacted him saying, an elderly, an elderly man just confessed to the brutal crime that was committed against you. Chris visited the 77-year-old man who was now broken and weak. Another article I read said that he had lost his vision. And when Chris met him there, he reached out his hand. He said, I'm the one. I'm the one that you did these terrible things to. At first, the man denied knowing anything about the crime, but eventually he apologized to Chris. Chris explained how he had become a Christian and how God had used the terrible events of his life to share God's forgiveness and love with many other people. Chris's family began making daily visits. His wife and his kids, they began going to this, this home, to this, this nursing home as he was in his last days. They made visits daily, sharing the love of God. And one Sunday afternoon, Chris's attacker received both God's grace and mercy and forgiveness and Chris's. Oh, man. And a short three weeks later, he died. Chris's life was being used to help others, to share the message of hope and love and grace and mercy because he chose not to be a vengeful person. He chose righteousness instead of vengeance. That doesn't mean this man shouldn't have been held accountable. That doesn't mean that this man shouldn't have been gone on trial or anything like that at all. But he chose not to seek evil in his heart against this man, but instead to give him love when he didn't deserve it and allow God to take care of the revenge that would be needed or given or issued. And what happened is he gave his life to Christ. And what happened? His family is whole. His family is complete. They saw something that will bring fruit for the rest of their life. And today, by his example, in this place, you now heard of a story of love instead of revenge. How far will this go? We don't know. What will God do with your story? We don't know. What will God do when you choose righteousness instead of vengeance? We don't know. But I'll tell you what, it will overcome evil. It will overcome evil. It is your great protection against the evil one and your own sinful nature. Finally this, do the next right thing. In Romans 12, 21, it says this. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Remember, proactive. We're going to study what righteousness is. We're going to seek righteousness all the days of our lives. We're going to hate evil and want righteousness. And we're going to refuse to be a vengeful people, but instead to be a loving people. And now we're in situations day in and day out, day in and day out, that we've been preparing for, yearning for, training for. And now we have the opportunity to be righteous and to do good. Do the next right thing. You have an opportunity in front of you daily, moment by moment, to do the next righteous thing. As we act righteous, we will pursue righteousness. We will have that incredible joy in our lives. We will have that peace that comes from knowing that we are wrapped up in Christ and nobody can take that from us. We are his. Our eternal destiny is absolutely secure. What can you do to me here? The worst you can do to me here is to take my life and I spend eternity with my Father in heaven. So what do we do? The next right thing. It was in one of the projects in L.A., Watts to be exact. And we were there with a group of students, some students actually from this church. And we were there playing with kids. And I had a child, five years old, on my shoulders. And playing with them and just goofing around. And this man walks up to me, a very big, burly man. He said, hey, he said, hey, do me a favor, take that kid down, would you? I'm like, oh, did I do something wrong? He said, no, I'm Sergeant So-and-so from the L.A. SWAT. I was like, man, hey, I'm really glad you're out here. <laughs> this is kind of a crazy place. And he said, yeah. He goes, let me introduce you to, and unfortunately, I don't remember the boy's name. So let me introduce you to him. I go, yeah, we've been playing. He goes, I want you to see this. See that mark right there, that white spot on his neck? I said, yeah. He goes, it's his wound that's still healing. Few months ago, he was shot in the neck right here in this courtyard. That's why I'm here, because I got to do something. I can be angry. I can be bitter. I can bring the weight of the entire L.A. police force down here, or I can step in, and I can do something right, and I can do something good, and I can tell everybody about who Jesus Christ is, and so I'm here, and anybody who wants to join me, I'm here telling people about Christ. I'm going to do, he didn't have these words, he did the next right thing there was to do. And then he said, I need you to do something for me. I need you to do a 360. I need you to look all around you. I said, oh, okay, okay, I will. This dude was intense. And I said, yeah. He goes, what do you see? I said, oh, a whole bunch of people playing and people. He goes, do it again. I did it again. I go, oh, a bunch of grandmas everywhere. He goes, you betcha. You know what those grandmas are doing? They're doing what's right. They're protecting this place because you won't come against a grandma. That grandma will take the life right out of you. And every time we come out here to tell the kids and anybody who wants to hear about Jesus, those grandmas get right out on their porch. And if anybody walks in this courtyard that's going to cause trouble, you see all the grandmas stand up and they turn around and walk church. What's the next right thing in your life? You see, because good will overcome evil every time. What's the next right thing that God's going to ask you to do? Hate evil and pursue righteousness. Refuse to take revenge, whether in thoughts, words, or actions. And do 
the next right thing. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we are covered by your grace for an eternity. And thank you that you've given us your power that we could live righteously here. That we could fight and battle and that you've protected our heart for an eternity and you are giving us the blessing of righteousness right here. And so, Lord, we love you. Teach us, teach us what is right and what is not. Help us to hate that which is evil, to put it behind us, away from us, and to pursue that which is right and good. Father, that we would not be a people of vengeance, but instead a people of love. And show us, open our eyes, give us a million opportunities to do the next right thing, no matter the cost. Thank you, Jesus, for your great love, your mercy, and for your incredible protection. In your name we pray. Amen.